This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Although it might be offered with the best of intentions, there's a lot of bad financial advice out there. And I think anybody can attest to just watching television, listening to the radio. There's all kinds of stuff out there that you think, oh, that sounds like a good idea. But the good thing about Blair Mountain is that he knows better than a lot of people that when it comes to money matters and dealing with debt, there are an awful lot of pitfalls to avoid. And every day, Sands and Associates talks to people across the province who are looking for debt help and expertise. So, Blair, when offered financial advice, specifically or in general, what's the first thing that you would do? Well, thanks for the question, Elena. And I'm really happy to give a pretty straight answer is the first thing you do if someone tries to give you financial advice is you consider the source. So, you know, sometimes friends and family, they don't give us the best advice and it could be completely unintentional, but they just might simply not have all the facts. So the number of individuals I have in my office who say, well, you know, my brother told me this or my sister or my dad or, you know, my friend said, you know, there's nothing I can do with tax debt. Or my friend said, you know, my wife and my husband, you know, everybody's responsible for everybody's debt. There's just a lot of misconceptions that are out there. So you definitely need to make sure you're getting professional advice. First off, uh, even if there's someone well-meaning, they just might not have all the insights that are relevant to your specific situation. And if it is coming from a professional that you're getting advice, just make sure, is it the right person to be giving you this advice? You know, a little bit um, jokingly here, but you wouldn't ask your dentist to look at your car or you wouldn't take your taxes to your doctor. So I'm sometimes surprised uh, the individual that, that people do take financial advice from, you know, essentially they might not be aware of a licensed insolvency trustee, but you do need to be aware that there are people that can help you figure out um, how to deal with your debts. And there's other folks that might be well-meaning, might still be part of the financial industry altogether, but would really have no specific idea about insolvency because they've never faced it, or perhaps a client has never faced it. You know, even for myself, I worked with one of the biggest accounting firms uh, in the world for a number of years, and I had no idea about consumer proposals or personal bankruptcies, even though I worked in corporate restructuring. It just wasn't something a part of my day-to-day life. And it's only when it impacted me personally, if someone I really cared about had a debt problem, I realized exactly how much I had to learn. And I was already a financial professional with a large accounting firm. So if I really didn't have a good grounding, the average person trying to give you advice, you know, probably doesn't have a very solid grounding and might un- you know, unwittingly, unknowingly, be sending you down a path that's not the best path for you. And then when you do get this advice or you hear something and then you go online to research it a little bit more, then again, you have to be so careful on where this information is coming from. Yeah, again, it's coming back to consider the source, you know, who's giving you the information and do they have a vested interest? You know, sometimes things can seem too good to be true, and it's because they are. There's promises that are being made to you that once you've committed to something or paid some fees, you'll find out there's actually nothing backing those promises up. So definitely consider the source online, even doubly so, uh, when it's coming from a a person that you might trust. Okay, so let's talk about um, the, the common types of financial professionals that are out there that you might suggest people folks with, uh, uh, connect with, rather, on various money issues or matters. 
Exactly. There is the big four of financial professionals that I definitely recommend. You might not need every one of these at every stage in your life. Some people will, but for the most part, it's just really important to be aware of who's out there and what they can do for you. Uh, so number one on our list is a financial planner. So, you know, I often meet with people that are struggling to bridge the gap of their income and their expenses, and they don't have a long-term goal, a long-term view of where they're heading to. And there's the old adage that if you don't know where you're going, any path is going to get you there. And the odds are you're going to end up to, you know, an outcome that's not the the best one for you. You're not going to have that, you know, stress-free retirement with a whole lot of money put away unless you start pretty early with a financial plan and you make some choices and sometimes they're not that hard of choices but they require a focus um, to help you manage your income and your savings and ensure you're going to have an acceptable standard of living upon retirement so a financial planner i encourage people you know anybody new starting off in the working world to have those meetings early on you know even consider using a robo advisor you know an online financial planner the most important thing is just to start doing it just to start putting money away the best practice is up to 10 percent of your take-home pay saved for long-term growth you're never going to regret Um, having that plan in place as early as you can in life. What about an accountant, Blair? How important are they? Well, it depends on your situation. For anybody who is self-employed, an accountant is absolutely critical uh, because, yeah, you can do your own taxes with CRA each year, uh, but there's a reason why accountants do charge the fees that they charge. They've got to be up to date on all of the new legislation every year. Um, they're going to help you negotiate or sorry, navigate, avoid any pitfalls with your tax filings um, and help you get set up right from the start. So if you're self-employed and you're not compliant with CRA, nothing can shut you down more quickly than CRA just they're going to start freezing your bank account or they're going to intercept money your clients are paying to you. They can literally choke off your revenue at the source if you're not compliant with CRA on a regular basis. So for most individuals, you know, who work a T4 job, who don't have a whole lot of complexity, they may not need an accountant now. They, you know, may need one periodically if they're doing significant transactions or something. But for anybody that's self-employed, an accountant should definitely be on your speed dial. It should be someone you're checking in with at least a few times during the year. Okay. So number three, and, and most, uh, most lawyers would say they should be number one, but number three <laughs> is a lawyer. How big, a, how big a role should they be playing in this? Well, this is definitely not an everyday thing. You know, very few people are going to have a lawyer on retainer all the time, you know, ready to answer any questions for them. I don't think it's someone you need necessarily on your speed dial as much as your accountant if you're self-employed. But if you are going through certain life events, it's definitely the case that getting professional assistance can save you a whole lot of of heartache and and pain later than if you try to do things yourself. Um, So a couple of significant things where you would want to get a lawyer involved is at the beginning of a marriage or cohabitation, um, you know, you may want to set out a cohabitation agreement. You may may want to be really clear about assets, about if the relationship doesn't work out. The time to do that is before you start cohabitating or get married. Um, Also on a separation or a divorce, divorce. You know, can you download forms online to try to do it yourself? Yeah, you can. uh, But I wouldn't say it's the smartest thing to do. Uh, Again, there's a lot of intricacies of court practice in BC, and you're generally better served by having a professional work with you. Uh, When you're starting up a business, it can be important for a lawyer if it's an incorporated company to help you do the incorporation correctly. Um, And then another uh, sort of, you know, planning, if you're thinking about wills and estates, what sort of legacy, um, you know, what should happen if you were to pass unexpectedly, a lawyer is the person that would sit down with you to work through all of those things. So depending on your stage, depending on what significantly, uh, what significant things are happening in your life, a lawyer or somebody for a period of time will be very important, but typically not someone on an ongoing basis you're going to be speaking with all the time because you probably just can't afford to do that. Okay. So let's talk about your Bailey Wick, your warehouse license insolvency trustee 
so yeah, and it really. Well, I would agree, Elaine. And of course, I'm a little bit biased, but uh, yeah. a, a bit facetiously in that, you know, my issue is there's just not enough people know about a licensed insolvency trustee. So a lot of people know about a financial planner. They know about an accountant. They know about a lawyer. But if they find themselves in debt, they often don't know where to turn. And they don't know that a licensed insolvency trustee is federally licensed, federally regulated, an all-inclusive code of ethics. Um, you know, you have recourse. If anything didn't go according to plan, you know, you, you can basically talk to the LIT's regulator. But an LIT is someone that's going to be able to help you navigate any situation where you're feeling uncomfortable about your debts. So it's not a foregone conclusion that if you sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee, you're going to be filing a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. Uh, you know, a majority of people that we sit down with, we're able to help them either figure things out under their own steam or help them perhaps refinance or find another solution. Um, but we're going to give you all that information at no charge. We're going to give you the straight goods, just like we do on this show every week, Elaine, of, you know, what are your legal rights and remedies when it comes to a debt? It's going to be specific to your situation, to your debts on a case-by-case basis. What does it mean to you? We're going to help you understand whether a debt is collectible. So even though a collection agent might be threatening you on a 10-year-old debt, we'll sit down with you and say, well, the statute of limitations is actually two years in BC. Here's all the little things about how, well, you might have some uncertainty versus not. We're going to arm you with that information so you can make a better decision. We're going to tell you what you can do if you just can't pay your debts. You know, do you need to formally file or what can be done to you if, you know, someone takes legal action against you? But essentially, an all-encompassing, we're going to give you free, impartial advice that's going to give you the knowledge uh, and information about the debt solutions that are going to help you out of a tough situation. I want to throw in here, too, before we talk about the red flags when it comes to these professionals, uh, I want to give you the phone number for Sands & Associates. They have offices all over British Columbia. It's 1-800-661-3030. Their website, sands-trustee.com. You can set up that first opportunity to sit down and start to figure out your best next steps if you're feeling like you need to do something that things aren't quite gelling the way they should be. This is a terrific place to start. So let's go back to those red flags, Blair. Um, What are the things that we need to pay attention to or should show up when we're dealing with these these four uh, financial people? Yeah, anytime you're dealing with a financial professional, I think first off, you got to trust your gut. You know, generally our intuition, sometimes we don't listen to it when we should. So really, if that little voice inside you or that feeling in your stomach is telling you something that doesn't feel comfortable, there could be something there. And that's a good indication you want to dive a little bit deeper. Um, I think you really want to make sure that the professional take the time to listen to you and understand your situation. Or do they seem in a hurry and they're just trying to you know, fit you into a, a pretty predefined box, so to speak? Um, do they make the time and space to let you ask your questions and fully understand the answers? Um, you know, do you feel like you're being engaged in high pressure sales tactics or aggressive sales tactics? Is this, you know, a limited time offer? Well, if you don't sign today, I'm not going to spend any more time on this. Um, you know, these are all the types of things you'd never get from Sands and Associates. But when we hear from other uh, clients who have dealt with other debt health professionals, sometimes they felt pressured to sign in that moment. Um, there was a false sense of urgency that was created. Uh, you know, you also need to look at who you're working with. What are their credentials? You know, are they accredited either in BC or across the whole country? And then finally, if something seems too good to be true, so you know, if someone's promising you, you know, instant credit repair or we can help you reduce your debt, it's not going to hit your credit at all. Uh, that's just not going to happen ever in this world. If you 
have to restructure your debt. The price of restructuring your debt is that your credit does take a hit. It's certainly more short term and less severe than people think, but there's no way to restructure your debt without your credit taking even a partial hit. So any promise that you can restructure your debt without a credit impact is just completely false and should send you running the other way. Yeah. And I like I like the fact that you've you've included that option, like get a second opinion. If this doesn't feel right, if this information doesn't feel good, there's nothing standing in your way to getting a second opinion. And it's such a good idea in a, in a situation like this. Oh, absolutely true, Elaine. And, you know, sometimes even if you've met with an LIT, for example, and you didn't feel, you know, so comfortable in that meeting, we've been the second opinion for so many clients who've met with a different LIT. They've come to us and said, okay, we feel more comfortable. We understand things a little bit better now. We're we're good to go. But definitely any professional you're dealing with, they're not the only game in town. So it really is, do you feel that connection? Do you feel that caring, that empathy? You know, being in debt is not a comfortable situation. You want to make sure whoever you're dealing with is going to be understanding and is going to have, you know, professional qualifications to help you deal with the situation, not spin wheels for a number of months and leave you in a worse spot than when you started. Yeah, such good advice, Blair. Also, check out their website. Sands and Associates just gives you so much good information right off the bat. You don't even have to call anybody, and you can access this at sands-trustee.com or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 and set up that first meeting as well as find an office near you. And I just want to remind you, they've got offices all over British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. We're going to talk about the insights about dealing with income tax debt uh, from a BC debt help expert. So Revenue Canada, and pay attention folks, Revenue Canada says 9 out of 10 Canadians file and pay their income taxes on time. So that's pretty good. That's a big majority. But there's still a portion of Canadians that carry a tax debt. And of course, that means costs, high stress. So it's so great, Blair, that you're going to talk about some key facts that we should know about tax debt. Because I feel like it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different than our regular consumer debt. Would you agree? Uh, I would totally agree. It's definitely different. And the way that it can arise, you know, sometimes, you know, even without your knowledge, you don't know the actions that you're taking are leading to a tax debt where you typically do know when you're borrowing money. Uh, and then certainly from the recourse uh, that the creditor has, CRA has got a whole lot more tools and they're a whole lot easier to access than the average person or a credit card company or something who is owed money. So definitely it's a little bit different. Uh, I think it's useful to talk about, you know, how do tax debts arise typically? And there's a some, there's a few ways that they can arise that are sometimes unexpected for individuals. So, you know, someone being self-employed and never paying a dollar of tax, that's not unanticipated that they're going to owe some money at the end of the year if they earned a bunch of money and didn't pay tax on it. But a couple ways that people can get into trouble unexpectedly with taxes, first off, is with cashing in RRSP funds. So what happens when you cash in your RRSPs is the financial institution that holds that RRSP, they're going to withhold a certain amount of tax, sometimes it's 10 to 20% or in that range, and they're going to give you the net amount. So right away, some people are surprising. Well, I withdrew 5000 from my RRSP. Why am I getting 4500 Well, because there's some tax withheld. But then at the end of the year, you need to understand that depending on your marginal tax rate or the amount of taxes that you have to pay based on your income, that amount that was withheld from your RRSPs may not have been even close to enough. 
So depending on the income level, it could have been, you know, 40% of that money should have been withheld for taxes. And if they only withheld 10% at source uh, when you did when you made the withdrawal and gave you the amount, they're going to come looking for that other 30% uh, when you file your taxes, you're going to have a balance owing. So be careful when you're cashing in RRSPs that you actually put aside enough money to cover uh, the eventual tax bill that's going to come due at the end of the year. So I've had people definitely have done that over successive years and just really ended up in a tax situation where they needed our help just based on cashing in the RRSPs. Um, a second way that the t- tax this- that can arrive. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, no, feel free. Go ahead to the multiple jobs. I think this is a really important one because it's something you're relying on somebody else to make sure they don't take too much off or not enough off. And you've got another gig on the side. So it's an important one for sure. Well, yeah, talk about something that you think you're to, you're doing the best that you can, working hard, trying to get ahead, and then suddenly get smacked with the consequences, unfortunately, is when you take on a second or even a third job, uh, you need to be careful that on those additional jobs that your employer is going to withhold tax at the correct amount. Because when you work for a single employer, they estimate your income over the year, and they say, okay, if you're in this tax bracket, we're going to withdraw this amount of taxes from every paycheck. But if you work for a second or a third employer, they don't know your total income unless you sit down explicitly and tell them. Um, so they're just going to put you typically in you know the lowest possible tax bracket, uh, withhold the least possible amounts of tax. And then at the end of the year, when you go and do your taxes and you find out, well, based on my income, the second and third job, they didn't withhold near enough taxes from my paycheck. Well, then you can imagine how demoralizing that can feel that I worked so hard in these other jobs. And now I've got a tax bill at the end of the year of money I've already spent because I thought it was free and clear, but it just wasn't enough from CRA's perspective. Is there something that you can specifically ask your employer to do and and hope that they do it? Or, or are they obliged to do it if you ask them? Or how does that work sometimes? Yeah, good question. Well, what's the solution here? So the solution is just to be transparent and communicate with each of your employers and for your second and or third job. And trust me, I see this a lot, especially in in the lower mainland here. It's to have that conversation with your employer and ask them to withdraw more taxes than would typically be required based on that income level. You know, if you overestimate it, they withdraw too much taxes. Well, guess what? You get a nice tax refund at the end of the year. It's money that you put away and comes back to you, but it's a much better alternative than actually owing some money. So definitely sit down with your employers, be transparent, say, here's my total income, here's the tax rate that I think I'll sit into, um, and then absolutely they shouldn't have any issue adjusting that withholding from your paycheck. Now, people who are self-employed might fall into a special category as well, like if they've got a salary job and maybe they're doing something on the side. Uh, so self-employed people have to pay attention. Oh, absolutely. When you're self-employed, you know, it it always shocks me that anybody can just set up a business, you know, just tomorrow and be self-employed. No one's going to sit them down and explain to them all the rules for it, but they're going to be held accountable to the letter of those rules, even right from day one. So one spot where I see people get into trouble very quickly is with GST. So you need to figure out if you're self-employed, whether you need to collect GST for your goods or services or not. And in most cases, the answer is yes. If you're earning more than $30,000 in revenue, you need to collect and remit GST to the government. And if you fail to do so, uh, regardless of whether you actually collected it from your clients or not, the government's going to say, well, hey, 5% of what you collected, that's owed to us. And the government views GST debt as even more severe than income tax debt because it's viewed as what's called a trust amount. So the idea is the consumer when they're paying you the self-employed person they're paying you for your services they're also putting five percent for gst that you're supposed to hold in trust for the government and if you fail to do so uh, the government can take some pretty aggressive actions including freezing your bank accounts seizing assets 
so on and so forth. So the most important thing here is just to really understand upfront, are you required to be a GST registrant? Uh, and to make sure if you are, that you're remitting those funds to GST. I, I suggest on a monthly basis, you can do quarterly or annually, but on a monthly basis, you just know you're not going to get very behind if you're clearing that 12 times a year. I just want to throw in here as well that, you know, if you don't want to wait any longer, you want to take some action, you think you're in, that that we're speaking to you in your situation, the best way to take some action is give Sands & Associates a call or log on to their website and get an appointment. It's nice and easy to do. The address is sands-trustee.com and their phone number is 1-800-661-3030. I guess the number one thing when it comes to income tax, or at least it is for me, is always file on time. I'm so concerned about the deadlines and how they can sort of shift around a little bit depending on what year it is or what position I'm in. So filing on time has got to be way up there in terms of the best thing you can do to start off well. Yeah, that's number one at the top of the list. It's just down to, you know, the, the Nike slogan, just do it. You know, you've got to file your taxes every year. Even if you don't owe anything, it's in your best interest to file because you might need to prove your income for credit or housing applications. And if you want to receive benefits like quarterly GST checks, or if you're a senior, the guaranteed income supplement, or your Canada child benefit um, as, a, as a couple or individual with children, those are all very important reasons why you need to file your taxes because you won't get those benefits otherwise. And it is your civic obligation. You know, you won't go to jail for owing tax debt in Canada. I've never seen that, but I have seen warrants for arrests for people who have not filed in 20 years and CRA is just at the end of their ropes and doesn't know what to do that's going to get this person's attention. So it's very important just to get your taxes filed each, each year. And there are people that can help you with that, including us at Sands & Associates. If you have debt, sometimes getting you caught up on your taxes is a, is a key part of what we do. But it's important that you do it on time to the deadline. And April 30th is the deadline year in and year out. So April 30th is when your return has to be in. And if you're not self-employed, your payment for any taxes owing has to be in at that point. Um, if you are self-employed, uh, for June 15th, you have until then to file. So a little bit of extra time to get all your books in order but you still have to have paid at April 30th. So you're required to estimate what your taxes are. And if you're wrong, you're going to be paying a little bit of a difference there or getting a refund back. But April 30th is a very important payment deadline. And what's really important about that deadline is if you don't hit that deadline to file your taxes and get the balances paid, you're going to be charged with some interest that compounds daily. And what can be even more significant is the late filing penalty. Um, so if it's your first year being late on filing your taxes, any amounts that are owing are hit with an immediate 5% penalty. And then for every month that that return is late, it goes up by another percent. So it could be, you know, 16, 17% by the end of the year. And if it's not your first year being delinquent and filing your taxes on time, it's doubled. So it's a 10% hit uh, to the balance right away, plus 2% per month. That's higher than a lot of credit cards, payday loans, uh, interest rates charge. So you've really got to be uh, on CRA's schedule or their, their interest rates and penalties can be quite significant. And tax debt isn't something that ever goes away, does it, unless you actually take, do something about it? No, tax debt doesn't expire. Um, it's one of those few debts that are out there where there's no statute of limitations. So you can't wait it out. Um, you can't, you know, just make a plea of poverty and say, hey, this debt is gone. I can never pay it. Um, no, obviously, if you've got no ability to pay CRA, you know, they're not going to be able to do that much to you. But it's not the case where you can just, you know, go silent for a few years and just think, well, when I pop back up again, this tax debt is going to be gone. So the only way to deal with CRA is you have to take formal steps. You either have to work with them on a repayment 
payment plan. And typically they'll be, you know, flexible to a degree, but usually it's about a six month payment plan is what they'll sign on to. And maybe they'll give you some, some breaks on the interest and the penalties, uh, but they won't be able to reduce the principal at all. And if that doesn't work linking directly with CRA, uh, the only way that you can achieve tax forgiveness uh, is to work directly with a licensed insolvency trustee and do either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, which we talk about a ton on the show here. Yeah, and uh, I just want to stress, too, that a licensed insolvency trustee is the only one, is the only one that can deal with CRA on any level in terms of a tax debt. Well, that's right, Elaine. I think it's important for people to know because you do see a lot of advertisements for tax lawyers and things like that. And there's definitely a niche a tax lawyer can play where if you think it's unfair the way that you've been assessed, it's just not right, you need to dispute some of the facts behind your tax debt, that's where a tax lawyer can assist you. But if you say, well, yeah, I just made too much income or I didn't ref- I didn't you know, remit GST as I should have, and there's no mystery about the tax debt, that's absolutely where you need the help of a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, it's going to be a heck of a lot cheaper than, than paying a tax lawyer per hour. And we've got the defined solution that's actually going to help you deal with that debt. We're not going to dispute it. We're just going to help you discharge it and get rid of it at the end. Now, we just got about another minute or so. I bet one of the questions that comes up for for you from people are, does CRA, can CRA put a lien on my house or how much power does CRA have when it comes to my stuff? Yeah, I think that's a great way to finish here, Elena, not to put the fear into people at all, but CRA has more power than you could imagine. <laughs> um, so I say that as a trustee, seeing what all of their creditors can do, and almost with no notice. So they've got to send, you know, one written notice, but whether that's received or not, if they don't really care, um, CRA can put a lien on your house. So if you've got a house that's not mortgaged completely, or even if it is, CRA will just go in second position. CRA can absolutely place a lien on your house so when the house is eventually sold, they'll get paid out in full for their amounts that's owing for taxes. Uh, they can also go for your employment income. They don't need to sue you first. They can start to seize wages. Even pensions can be seized up to 100% by CRA, which no other creditor in Canada can attach to pension income, and certainly not for 100%, but CRA has the tools to do it. It's definitely not their first step, but they've got very robust steps they can take to collect if you don't deal with the debt head-on. So the best way to deal with that debt head-on is go see uh, either Blair or someone from their office, Sands and Associates. They've got offices all over British Columbia. Get that debt free, get debt free and connect with a non-judgmental debt help professional. Sands and Associates, their website, sands-trustee.com or give them a call 1-800-661-3030 to book your, fr- your free confidential debt consolidation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. So how do you know which debt solution is the best one for you to take? You may already know that you need some help, but what's the next best thing to do uh, and uh, the next best action? So Blair Manton, BC Licensed Insolvency Trustee, works with folks across the province who are already looking for that better way to manage debts and getting guidance on how to move forward financially. So Blair's got some key aspects of of how they assess a person's situation, as well as considerations when giving advice and evaluating different debt solutions. So Blair, can you tell us when's the right time to reach out to a, a licensed insolvency trustee? And then second to that, what are some of the common situations that people are facing when you hear from them these days? Yeah, certainly, Elaine. So 
you know, essentially a licensed insolvency trustee is going to be your best ally when you find yourself in debt looking for a way out. A licensed insolvency trustee is absolutely someone who's going to be there side by side helping you get to that point where you owe nobody anything. If you're dealing with an LIT, licensed insolvency trustee, uh, you're getting someone who's a professional with unmatched expertise and experience. All we do is help people deal with tough debt situations but very qualified to do so so it might be the first time you're facing something like this in your life and you don't know what the options are the trustee that you're sitting down with has probably had a similar situation just a few times that day uh, let alone that various months years of experience that they build up there's essentially no wrong time to get in touch with a licensed insolvency trustee you know a couple of real hallmarks of the people that phone us are if they're struggling to pay their debt they're looking at the budget and there's just not enough money to go around to keep everybody happy they're unsure what to do about a debt you know maybe there's a debt that's been hanging around for a long time they're not making progress or something they haven't paid in a long, whole long time, they're wondering, well, what do I really have to do with that debt? Um, or if they're just looking for a plan to get out of debt faster. You know, they're paying debt down, they're making all their payments, there's room in the budget, but they understand it's going to be 10, 20, or 30 years at this rate before they're actually going to be out of debt. Um, all of those types of factors can lead to a very productive discussion with a licensed insolvency trustee. And in those discussions, you know, it's in general, types of things that we'll talk about, it's not limited to, uh, but we're going to give you advice on common debt types like credit cards, income taxes, student loans. We're going to answer all of your specific concerns about specific debts, you know, whether it's a personal debt, a government debt, a family debt, or, or you know, from a large bank. Uh, we're going to answer all of your questions and then explain to you in detail, here's the suite of options that you have uh, to get out of debt. Some of them include working with a licensed insolvency trustee. Some of them are things that you can just do on your own. Uh, but we're going to give you clear calculations, clear plans on what you can do to go forward, a suite of options. You can choose to keep doing what you're doing, but at least you'll have the information to know uh, what the options are to get you out of debt as quickly as possible. I think it's really important, too, to remind people that in this country and in this province, but nationally, a licensed insolvency trustee is legally empowered, both federally and provincially, to help people with debt. And really, you're, I mean, while we get bombarded with all kinds of ads and things about, you know, doing this and doing that, you guys are really it. Licensed insolvency trustees are really it in terms of legally being able to cover a whole bunch of areas that other people just can't. Absolutely, Elaine. And I wish as a profession, licensed insolvency trustees did a better job of telling that story. And that's why I'm so pleased we do the, um, the show on CKNW each week, because just people don't know that. But And they can sometimes flail about just not sure who to go to for help or think that no professional exists to help people in tough situations. And absolutely, we exist. We're here. We help people every day. And what really is gratifying to me um, is when I hear people say, you know, I had no idea, but then I learned about an LIT and I was so much better off. It stopped my suffering. And about two-thirds of people that we sit down with, they say they would have acted sooner if they just knew, if they knew trustees were out there, if they knew the options that were available, and if they knew things weren't as bad uh, in terms of the options of a bankruptcy or a proposal, then they might have assumed they would have gotten action, taken action sooner and been that much better off. Okay. Before we go on to the next question, I just want to throw in the phone number if you're thinking, okay, this is me. I need to do something about this now. This is the phone number for Sands & Associates. It's one 800 661 or the website sands-trustee.com. So what are some of the main debt resolution options that you help people look at and figure out for themselves? 
Yeah, I think this is useful, Elaine, because I think people need to understand when you sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee, it's not a, you know, choose bankruptcy, choose proposal, and that's that. It's we're going to explore every option available to you and help you understand what's best in your situation. So, you know, one of the first options we'll look at, well, can you just contact your creditors? Can you negotiate informally? Uh, perhaps you'll get a better result than you think. Um, you know, if it's just a personal debt to somebody or, um, you know, it's a debt to a bank or you've had a long-standing relationship, you might be surprised at what you'd be able to achieve if you just um, come to, to a creditor with a plan saying, you know, let's do a reduced interest, let's do some increased payments or decreased payments, whatever the circumstances would be. But oftentimes people neglect the idea of just going straight to their creditors and trying to see if they will work out some situation. It can work if the debts are low and there's some ability to make payments. If the debts are excessive and you've got multiple creditors, it can be a very difficult strategy. But one of the first things we'll look at is, you know, just contacting your creditors informally. What about the uh, the old debt consolidation topic that always comes up that's definitely one of the options to assess and just about everybody that's in my office they've tried that already usually it's the first thing that people do is okay i've got a bunch of debt to a bunch of people at high interest let me see if i can put all that together at a lower interest rate let me go to my trusty neighborhood bank and see if they'll give me a consolidation loan Um, so it's an option that if you can qualify for it it can save you some money Uh, but a couple of hiccups here is first off a lot of people can't qualify for a consolidation loan because if their credit is already pretty maxed out, um, they're depending on a bank to take a risk by paying off all of the other creditors. And then now you only owe a single bank. And what if you don't pay them back in full? That bank has taken a pretty significant risk. So it can be tough to qualify for a consolidation loan. Sometimes they want a co-signer, which is never a good idea. So talk to a trustee before you start co-signing debts that weren't already co-signed. Um, but a consolidation loan is where a lot of people start. They just try to borrow the money, but oftentimes they're either not approved or if they are approved, it's at a payment that is just very high. It makes it very difficult for the budget to work. And when it comes to advertising in, in all areas, we often hear about private debt counselors or credit counselors. How do how do I assess that if that's a good choice? Well, very carefully would be my my advice, um, because just as I mentioned earlier, saying I wish trustees told, did a better job of telling our story. Trustees are outspent by a factor of probably five or ten to one by not-for-profit credit counselors, for-profit credit counselors, debt advisors. So it's really not a level playing field. If you start to go online and look for, you know, bankruptcy assistance, sometimes the top hits that you see won't be licensed insolvency trustees. So they just can't afford to pay all that money for the keywords. What are the actual people that can help you? So definitely be careful as you assess if you're working with a private debt um, or a credit counselor. Um, there's a couple of different ways this can be structured. One can be a debt settlement where you'll make a lump sum payment, you know, maybe a third of the debt in one fell swoop. And if you've got that money kicking around, that can work for you, but it can be difficult to accumulate otherwise. Um, otherwise, oftentimes what a credit counselor will do is they'll negotiate payment in full of your debts, but they'll get an interest freeze and give you a term of up to five years to pay it off. So that might sound great, you know, $20,000, I paid off over five years, no more interest, that saved me a ton of money. But it might not be your best option because you might have been able to file a consumer proposal and instead of paying back that full 20000 you might be paying back six or seven or $8,000 and having a very similar, if not the same, credit rating impact. So be very careful if you're assessing options from a private provider because they might not be the best options available to you under Canadian law. You can only access those through a licensed insolvency trustee. 
Yeah, really important, and and uh, I can't stress that enough because I just think that's one of the most important things uh, to think about and or to know before you even start the process. And in wrapping up, we just got about a minute left in this segment. Um, can you talk about the best way for consumers to get in touch with a licensed insolvency trustee? You talked about just looking them up, and they often don't show up at the top of the list, uh, competing mm-hmm. for space with the credit counselors. Uh, but what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, the best bet is to go online. Just go to sands-trustee.com uh, or give us a call at 310-0911 anywhere in the province. Uh, it's a free call. That's a free consultation. And just one of the last things that we're going to talk about, too, just in the option, I know just a few seconds here, is a trustee is going to tell you if you could actually do nothing. If your mm-hmm. judgment proves there's a case that a debt just doesn't need to be addressed, we're going to help you investigate that and charge you nothing to figure it out. So all of the options will be evaluated when you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm glad you included that. Uh, Sands-trustee.com, as Blair said, is the website. It's also, uh, you can make your appointment through the website. Also, there's just lots and lots and lots of good information, questions and answers to explain things a little more deeply, uh, if that will help you uh, to to, uh, take that first step. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about in this segment the do's and don'ts for paying off credit cards. And this is always such an enlightening segment when we talk about credit cards because it still shocks me. Uh, so many pieces of the whole credit card system and the, and, uh, and what you get, what you get hung up, hung with as well. So we're going to have some tips to deal with credit card debt and to deal with it for good. Lots of folks struggle to pay off credit card balances. Know this, you're not alone, and Blair's going to give us some insights into ways you can pay down your credit card debts faster, as well as some pitfalls to watch out for on that path. So Blair, as a debt management professional, what do you think it is about credit cards in particular that can make them such a nuisance, normalized, bigger than you think type of debt? Yeah, it's a good question, Elaine, and it is a fact that the credit cards are the dominant type of debt that really cause people issues when they come to see a licensed insolvency trustee more than five times higher than the next next type of debt that, that was called out. Um, so it can create a real problem for consumers. You know, why are they so common? Well, they're convenient, right? In, in our, um, you know, very fast-paced type of economy, you know, just tap to make a purchase, you know, putting your credit card online. A lot of places are stopping to take cash, especially, you know, during pandemic times and things like that. So they're convenient, they're common, and, you know, everyone just gets gets used to having credit cards um, in their wallet. But the issue is they're also costly, and that's what tends to really trip people up, is not understanding just, you know, how expensive it can be if you're not paying off your credit card balance each month. Um, and that debts can go from what you might consider a nuisance to something out of control relatively quickly. Uh, a couple examples here is if you had a $10,000 balance on a typical credit card, which is about 19.9% interest, if you were making only the minimum payments each month, it would take you 25 years and one month to pay off that $10,000. We're not talking $100,000, we're talking $10,000, taking you 25 years to pay off, and you would have paid interest of more than $12,000. So, you basically be paying back double what you borrowed plus more um, just by carrying that balance on the credit card. And the credit card companies make it so easy every month to just pay the minimum balance. Your credit will be great, but they know you'll probably never pay down that debt just working towards minimum payments alone or at least take 25 years to do so, which is in, definitely not in your best interest. You know, Even a balance on a low-rate card, so that same $10,000 at a 10.9% interest rate, which you know significantly lower, and that's definitely something people should try to do. We'll talk about that to try to lower their interest 
interest rates, but the minimum payments only, it would still take you 16 years and nine months. So even chopping the interest almost in half, you're still going to be in debt for quite some time, and you still pay interest of about $4,200 over the course of time you're paying off the debt. So even that that, that $10,000 balance, which a lot of people might say, well, that doesn't sound like something you'd need such drastic help with, it can really turn into something bigger over time and hold people back from achieving financial goals. Yeah, and very quickly, right? I mean, it can happen so quickly with an interest rate like that. That's right, yes. All right. Tips for paying off that credit card debt, which I'm pretty sure most of us have, if not on a month-to-month basis, sometimes months-to-months, right? Yeah, exactly. It's very few people that never carry a balance, you know, for at least, you know, a series of months. And some people are just stuck in a cycle for years of only making the minimum payments until they choose to do something different, like coming to see a licensed insolvency trustee, for example. Uh, one of the key do's uh, is to try to lower your interest rates. And a lot of people don't don't think to do this, but you could phone up your card issuer at any point and say, you know, and this generally works best if your balance is a little bit on the lower side, you've always paid on time, and you're a long-term customer, you could phone up and say, you know, my card's at 19.9%. I've done my research. I know there's other competitive cards out there that might be at 109 or a little bit lower. You know, I'd like to see what you can do for me to retain my business. And that can be an interesting conversation, especially if you're armed with your research ahead of time, knowing what the options are. So oftentimes your, your credit card issuer will make you aware of cards that they don't advertise heavily, but they will provide to you in, in in lieu of losing you as a customer to somebody else who would give you a better rate. So just by asking that question, you might be able to save some money. Um, and then sometimes you might find, okay, I've got to leave my existing card uh, card issuer and go to, to another card that's got a lower interest rate. But you can investigate whether there's the op- opportunity to transfer some balances to that lower interest rate card. But definitely be careful, especially in the last number of years. They put in a lot higher transaction fees than 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 uh, before. So sometimes it can be a 1% to 3% of the balance that you're transferring uh, can be just a cost of doing that transfer. So you need to make sure that makes sense, that you are saving money if you're transferring uh, balances from one card to a lower rate card. That's really good. Just the fact that you said transaction fee, because that's how it's going to show up on any documents as well. So that's that's it's good to know that that's what that is. Um, I also want to say, you know, sans-trustee.com is the website if you want more good information about credit card debt and how to manage it and how to do a better job. Their phone number, if you want to take action and talk to somebody, 1-800-661-3030 to really get this under under control. So I guess, can we look at some steps to take or or some dues, some significant dues, and I guess stop using it altogether would be the ultimate thing. Yeah, if you find yourself with a credit card debt that you're getting worried about, you know, one of the most important things you can do, and sometimes you'll see people, okay, they're going to freeze their credit card and, you know, in a block of ice in the freezer or something like that, whatever it takes. But it's just the idea, if you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you do is stop digging. So it's the idea of just stopping to use your credit card, because sometimes it can be really tough to see, well, you know, I've made these purchases, I paid this off, I'm paying this minimum fee, this interest is charged. It can just get really confusing. So it's really helpful if you've got a problem on a card to stop using that card all together just so you can start to get it under control. Um, Or if you do need to use the card going forward, use it for things you've already got the money set aside for. So if there's some uh, vendors or things you buy that you can only do with a credit card, well, once you get home, maybe make that payment right away or at least have the money set aside so you can cover that balance and you're not going to be increasing it over time. And I guess using a prepaid credit card would also fall in in that category too as a good good way to manage it better? 
Yeah, so using there's two types of cards that kind of operate similarly, but with a couple key differences, a prepaid credit card or a secured credit card. And the benefit on both of those is you really can't get into trouble because the credit limit is going to be essentially however much money you've deposited onto the card. So a prepaid credit card, you could buy it, you know, pick any big retailer, they all sell them. Uh, They can have relatively high transaction fees, so be aware of that. Um, But when you buy a prepaid card, say you put $200 on it, once you've charged roughly that $200, the card's just going to stop working at that point. So you don't need to worry about, you know, having multiple years of interest. Um, You don't need to worry about going over your limit and not being aware of it. So it can be good, you know, just to constrain yourself a little bit if you need that. Uh, A secured credit card operates very similarly, uh, but with two important differences. One is usually the fees are much lower, in my experience, with a secured credit card than a prepaid. But even more important than that is a secured credit card is actually going to help you build your credit because you have to apply for a secured credit card. You don't just buy it off the shelf with no trace to you personally. When you apply for a secured credit card and you want to confirm this with your lender, but the best secured credit cards will report monthly to both credit bureaus, giving you a really good track record if you're trying to rebuild your credit and you're not able to get a credit card without a deposit, then a secured credit card can do a whole lot more from you for you than a prepaid credit card would do. Okay. Can we go through a couple of more dues just to remind people if they've stopped doing this to start doing it, especially when it comes to paying off if you've got a bunch of credit cards that you've been managing, the the best thing to do with them? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to do is to be very cautious about using credit to pay off debt. So whether it's a balance transfer, as we talked about, if it's increasing your borrowing limits or even, heaven forbid, getting a co-signer to sign off on a consolidation loan for you, you really need to make sure you've done all of the analysis that you understand the potential downside. And if you do consolidate your debt, you know, clear off the credit card with a new loan, for example, it's so important to stop using that old credit card. I've seen again and again people have consolidation loans and they have the original cards that were consolidated back up to where they were before. So you really have to take care and change the behavior that caused the debt issue. Okay. What else? We've just got about 10 more seconds. Blair, what's the most important thing to do? most important thing is to reach out for help. So don't suffer alone. Don't suffer in silence. Reach out before you think your situation is so drastic. A trustee can put you in the right direction. That's excellent. Thank you. And how you do that is easily through their website, sans-trustee.com, or give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, offices all over British Columbia. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.